Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. You don't always have to like him, but you have to respect him. The Roy Green Show continues. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. I'm going to start this hour by reading an email that I received two days ago. Have a listen to this, please. Hi, Roy. Please read this. My dad suffers with chronic pain from a work-related injury. He can't work and is trying to get his doctor to understand his dilemma. He's having the same issues with pain and agony. About two months ago, I caught him drinking and driving, and he managed to get some pot and says between the two he can manage, but he's now driving high and drunk, and all because he can't get medication from the doctor, and absolutely refuses to just lie around and not function. So now not only is he being looked at as a criminal, he's being pushed into behaving like one. I can't be there all the time, so I can't control his behavior. I'm scared now for what can happen when more and more people use this solution. Thank you. And that, of course, has to do with the issue of chronic pain patients. And we've been talking about and to and for chronic pain patients for months on this program. We've spoken with the past Federal Minister of Health, Jane Philpott, who provided us with essentially no answers to the questions that I asked. We've spoken to patients. We've spoken to patient advocates. We've spoken to doctors, both in Canada and the United States. And on and on it goes. And the problem is this. Chronic pain patients who are living in agony are having their medications, their opioid medications, withdrawn either entirely or dramatically because doctors are afraid. I used the word terrified yesterday when I spoke with Dr. Jason or Professor Jason Bussa, the editor of the 2017 Canadian Guideline for Opioids for Non-Chronic Cancer Pain. Doctors have been expressing fear that they'll have their licenses revoked if they prescribe the kinds or the amounts of opioid meds they've been prescribing to their patients, which for these patients has returned some quality of life because the amount that the doctor's prescribing doesn't meet what is considered to be uh, guideline maximum. Now, we also heard Professor Busa, and unfortunately we have some technical issues, so I can't play this back for you, But the professor told us yesterday that no doctor in this country, no doctor in this country should be 
cutting patients off opioids. No, no doctor in this country should be dramatically withholding opioids from patients, medication, if, they're, if it's required. There should be consultation between the doctor and the patient, and no doctor should be just dramatically withholding or removing opioids from a patient's uh, care regimen. So, I want to introduce you to four people who are going to be with us for the balance of the hour. And they all have experience with this issue, significant experience with this issue. Dawn Ray Downton is a freelance journalist. She's a chronic pain patient. She's from Nova Scotia. We've spoken with Dawn on quite a few occasions for 12 years. She has been on fentanyl to provide her the assistance so she can live her life. And she's been terrified about what may happen if her opioids are withdrawn. And she's been on the air with her husband, Bob. And she talked about having a suicide plan. And if those medications are withdrawn, Don Ray has told us, she will end her life. But she'll do so in a manner that her husband is not held in any suspicion. How would you like to go through life that way? Hi, Don Ray. Good to speak with you again. Hi, Roy. It's so good to speak with you, too. Hillary Morton is an entrepreneur. She's a criminologist. She's at Simon Fraser University. She's a former, and I, I guess once an athlete, always an athlete, but she's <laughs> struggling struggling with, with, uh, with chronic pain, which has had you at times, Hillary, on, uh, on the edge thinking about suicide. And, and you're also dealing with this, this issue of the doctors not wanting to prescribe what it is you've been receiving and what you require in order to live your life. It's good to talk to you again. Yes, you as well. And Marvin Ross is a health writer. He uh, writes for the Huffington Post, dot, uh, Huffington Post Canada, and uh, for other publications. He's in Ontario, and recently he's been writing on the issue of chronic pain and the lack of care that is being... Um, Marvin, would it, would it be fair to say the lack of care that's being dictated by those who have the, uh, the power to do so? Most definitely. And uh, Barry Ulmer is the executive director of the Chronic Pain Association of Canada. He joins us from Alberta. Barry, just in a, in a few words, what is it that you do as an association? Well, we're a patient group, uh, Roy, and uh, we try to get information out there and uh, try to uh, impress upon the fact of, for the regulatory bodies and the politicians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that chronic pain is a pretty serious thing and it has some severe consequences for people who suffer from it and they're just not being looked after. All right, let me go to Don Ray because you two months ago sent a list of questions to Professor Boussa in your twin roles as a journalist and as a chronic pain patient. And uh, I believe that you, you received an answer. First of all, let me ask you, I'll ask each of you to, to, to answer this question as well as you answer the first question I ask you. What was the sense that you had from the conversation I had with Professor Busa yesterday? What did you get out of it? And then, Don Ray, talk to us, please, about the 38 questions you asked the professor and what happened after that. Sure, Roy. I heard Jason Busa's interview with you yesterday, and uh, I... He, he sounds like he always does. Um, he takes no responsibility for what has happened in Canada. Um, he, there is no accountability on the part of the steering committee of the guideline, which started the draconian uh, tapering of patients, of chronic pain patients across Canada. And you will note that what he, what he said to you was kind of scripted. Uh, he's, he's been scripting it in the 38 questions uh, that I had answered finally yesterday after two months. 
So, I mean, I was not surprised by it, unless, of course, you consider that Jason Bussa and his steering committee at McMaster have known for some time that there are incredibly bad problems that have started with this guideline. And, you know, I guess I have to ask myself why they're just letting themselves um, be targets of people who are in chronic pain without answering by going to the medical colleges and saying, this is not what we told you to do. You have to stop this. You're hurting people. So I'm surprised in the sense that he hasn't started to do that. He says he's concerned. He says he's not responsible. I mean, it's kind of a little like um, being, um, being a pilot and saying, I didn't drop the H-bomb. The plane did. Yeah. Well, you're satisfied with the questions, uh, the answers that he gave to your questions. I was not satisfied, but it's kind of what I expected to see. Um, what jumps out at me is kind of two trends. Um, the first that I've already talked about was that there's a lack of accountability from him. Um, you know, he scripts his answers to, in, in the two questions that I asked that had to do with uh, the reign of terror that's been visited upon doctors and chronic pain patients in Canada. He said basically the same thing. He said, we continue to work to ensure that the guideline recommendations are appropriately interpreted and implemented. That's what he says every time that he's asked. Well, clearly that's not happening, uh, Hillary Morton. That's not happening because patients yeah. like you are finding that you're not getting your, uh, or you're having difficulty getting the medications that you require, the opioid meds that you require to have some quality of life. And yet Professor Busse insists that no doctor in this country should be arbitrarily withholding or cutting a patient off opioids. Yeah, that <laughs> that's the official line. And as I was saying to you yesterday, the BC College has revised their policy, and it does talk about, you know, an appropriate withdrawal of 10% every week, which is far too rapid for anybody who's been on the meds for a, a significant period of time. Um, it doubles down, again, on the, the number of people who are misusing their meds at 26%, which is laughable. I, I've done a lot of research, and that doesn't even come close. It's 0.7 to 6% across the board, no matter what. Um, and while they may have changed the language in the policy, de facto it does the same thing. Doctors are being threatened, and patients are losing their medications. It's that simple. And now, I don't know um, if it's happening in other provinces, but certainly if you go to a critical care facility or a walk-in clinic, they have it right on their door now. We don't prescribe, and then there's this list of medications, and it's all the opioids, all the narcotics. You know, you could, I guess you could walk in with your arm chopped off, and they wouldn't give you pain control. I don't know. Does it's this crazy. Does this put you in a position of constant fear? It, I think it puts everybody in the position of constant fear. And as I said last time when I talked to you, what we're going to see is a huge jump in overdoses from street uh, drugs. And that's exactly what we've seen. In Vancouver, we're looking to see an increase of um, up to 50 to 70% estimated 
for the year of 17, uh, 20, sorry, 2017 over 2016, and we're seeing a change in who is overdosing. We're not seeing as many street overdoses. Those are very, very stable at about three to 400. That increase of what they estimate to be 1,000 are people like me. They're college students. They're employed, and they're dying at home alone because they're going to the street for their medications, which is what I said they were going to do. They have done it in every state in the United States. We're doing it here now. And unless you've got a person-to-person prescription coming from doctor to pharmacist to someone you know to you, you're buying on the street what you hope is oxyneo and you're getting fentanyl or something else. And All right. I'm going people to take, are dying alone. I have to take a break. We're going to come back and speak with uh, Marvin Ross and Barry Ulmer and... Uh, Don Ray and Hillary are going to stay with us. We're on this issue for the hour because we're responding to what Professor Jason Busse said yesterday, the uh, editor of the guidelines. Now, the professor contacted me initially to let me know there'd been a study done in Hamilton where it was shown that it was illicit drugs, so illicit drugs that were responsible for, more responsible for, opioid overdoses than prescriptions. And prescriptions are either down or stable in Hamilton, so it's the illicit drugs that are the problem, more of the problem, or significantly the problem, and I suggested to the professor yesterday during the program that if they did a study like that in any municipality or any urban region in this country, they'd come up with exactly the same statistics. We'll come back on The Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Roy Green isn't afraid to poke the bear. The bigger the bear, the bigger the poke. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show and emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. And you can listen back anytime to anything that we air. Just go to my uh, show page on any chorus radio station that carries this program, like the uh, station you're listening to right now. And you can listen back to this segment dealing with chronic pain and opioids with my panel of guests, Marvin Ross, uh, Barry Ulmer, Chronic Pain Association of Canada, Don Ray Downton, Freelance journalist and chronic pain patient, and Hillary Morton, who is a criminologist and an entrepreneur, and she's at Simon Fraser University. She's a, also a chronic pain patient. Uh, Barry Ulmer, the executive director of the Chronic Pain Association of Canada. Barry, what the hell's going on I, in, in Alberta? You sent me an email, and it, uh, frankly, it scared me. What's going on? <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd really like to know, but it is. It's scary. Like, uh, we've had in Alberta a case of uh, the uh, regulatory body stepping in and going to doctors and actually telling them they cannot see patients anymore, certain patients, period, that those patients were now going to be taken over by somebody else who doesn't have a clue of what's going on. And, in fact, the doctor that uh, has been seeing these people has been seeing them for years and can't even see them for a cold anymore. In Calgary, one morning a doctor came to his office and he found the Calgary City Police there with a subpoena along with Alberta Health Services to uh, take the the, uh, files of three of his patients and then uh, went on to accuse those patients of basically being uh, drug dealers, which is absolutely nonsense. But it's... But it scares me, Roy, and it scares everybody who's suffering from this condition. So let's, let's replay that. Barry, let's replay that. RCMP officers... 
Calgary City, please. Calgary, please. They, they go to the doctor's office, and what did they do? They had a subpoena uh, uh, that uh, they'd got names from Alberta Health Services, and the subpoena listed three three patients of this doctor's, and they, they right. seized all the files of those three patients yeah. and then accused them basically of being drug dealers, basically, which is nonsense. Uh, and what came out of that accusation? Anything? Uh, I haven't heard anything more about it, so it's kind of uh, been off the radar, I suppose, but uh, I think we probably will in the near future. And uh, the the college, so the college is also interfering with doctors as far as treating their patients is concerned, and they're taking some patients away from doctors. Oh, without a doubt, and they they force them, they force them into into taking them off their medications, and it's not tapering; it's it's going down. Uh, one of the patients uh, was dealing with one of the representatives from the college, and she was forcing him off his medication. Then she just disappeared; he didn't know where she was. So he was in real dire straits, and he still is. His life has totally changed as well as, as the others, and uh, it's just a horrendous problem. And, uh, Do you hear the word suicide from people? No doubt. Every day. Every day. Marvin Ross, who writes uh, on health matters for HuffPost Canada, and uh, this is all really frightening stuff. I mean, I know most of it. Some of it I'm finding out today. Uh, Marvin, it's it's not getting better. It's It's getting worse, and... And yet yesterday, Professor Busa said, and you heard him, he said no doctor should be removing a patient from uh, opioid prescription medications arbitrarily, and they should only be tapered if the patient is in agreement. Yeah, and actually, um, I had asked uh, Professor Busa in an email why McMaster did not talk to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario about this because quite clearly this is coming from the regulatory body, which is the uh, the body that regulates doctors in each province. And his reply to me was, I'm not a member of CPSO. Well, of course he's not a member of CPSO. He's not an MD. He's a chiropractor. But regardless, he's the chair of the guideline committee, and we hear from all sorts of people that their doctors are telling them that they're under great pressure from the regulatory body so that the, the authors of the guidelines should be talking to the regulatory bodies. We have about a, roughly a million and a half or maybe more chronic pain patients in this country I would venture not one of them, not one of them who requires medication, is living comfortably these days. They're living in fear, and they're living in really serious fear. And I could, I could spend three hours now just reading you emails that would make you cry. Frankly, they would make you cry. I'm going to take a break, and then we'll come back with our guest. We'll talk more about what's going on in response to Professor Jason Busa being on this program yesterday. Barry Elmer's the executive director of the Chronic Pain Association of Canada. He joins us from Alberta. Marvin Ross, health writer uh, for HuffPost Canada. He's in Ontario. Don Ray Downton, freelance journalist, chronic pain patient. She's in Nova Scotia. Hilary Morden is an entrepreneur. She's a criminologist. She's a chronic pain patient. She's at Simon Fraser University working toward her Ph.D. And there's a lot more to be said about what's going on. Don't go away. 
think you can swim with the sharks? Talk with Mr. Great White himself, Roy Green. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. So clearly we have a significant problem with communication, or we're having a significant problem with the truth, or both. Because on the one hand, we're being told by the chair and the editor of the 2017 Canadian Guideline for Opioids for Chronic Not Cancer Pair, Pain, rather, is that no doctor should be withholding opioid medication that the patient, his or her patient, requires that has been prescribed unless that doctor is working with a patient who is in agreement. But the patient, from what I gathered, from what I heard, and I've heard it time and again, should have the final say. That's not what's happening. Patients are being, and you've heard the emails, and you've heard them on this program, the patients, they're having their opioid medications taken away, withheld, withdrawn, and they're terrified. And they're talking suicide. And a prominent physician in an email to me wrote that doctors who are in pain management, involved in pain management, are increasingly talking among themselves about an increase in suicides among their patients. This is a huge issue in this country, and it's not getting the attention that it deserves. Or if it's getting attention, it's being misdirected, largely. What's happening with generic drug addicts on the streets is being transferred to chronic pain patients who have nothing to do with what's going on on street corners unless they're forced onto street corners because their prescription medications are being withheld. Now, one of my guests is Barry Ulmer. You just heard Barry, the executive director of the Chronic Pain Association of Canada. When I spoke with Professor Jason Boucher, the chair and the editor of the 2017 Canadian Guideline for Opioids for Chronic Non-Cancer Pain, when I spoke with him, I brought up the issue of Mr. Ulmer and his Chronic Pain Association. Just have a listen to just about a minute of that conversation with Professor Busa about Barry Ulmer's association. Listen. I'm going to be speaking tomorrow with Barry Ulmer, the executive director of the Chronic Pain Association of Canada. Mr. Ulmer's association was also asked for its input into the guidelines. But from what I now understand, while the Chronic Pain Association of Canada provided input you asked for, their input was not included in the guideline. Is that so? And if so, why? Uh, no, we, we did receive uh, the, uh, the comments from, uh, from his group, as well as comments from over 500 other groups. Uh, these were all considered, synthesized, they were discussed with the steering committee, uh, and we, we certainly did consider all that information we received uh, in the final version of the guideline. Did you include anything from the Chronic Pain Association's recommendations? Uh, I, I, we, I'm going to have to go back to that specific letter. I, I recall that we reviewed it, but we reviewed so much material that I can't tell you off the top of my head what aspects of it. But we, we did feel that the final guidelines addressed the concerns. I can't tell you if there were particular components that we inserted into the guideline uh, based on that one letter. All right, Barry Elmer, why don't you respond to that? Well, I can't uh, 
think of anything offhand that they included in it, but I, I guess the key word in this whole thing, Roy, is they considered. In the United States, when the CDC came out with their guidelines, they also considered. But when they actually finalized and published them, there was very little consideration given to anything that some pretty uh, intelligent people in the in the pain field had, had come up with and, and given to them. So they requested information from you or input from you, from your association. You provide it, and there's nothing in the guidelines from what you provided. Nothing, nothing specifically that I could, that, that I can see, Roy. Okay. No. Uh, in fact, one of the things I would said in in that uh, um, uh, correspondence was is about the recommend recommendations, and I basically said to label a recommendation as a strong recommendation based on moderate quality evidence from observational studies is unscientific, unprofessional, unethical, and quite frankly, should be un- inconceivable to any legitimate scientific panel. And these guys are so disingenuous, Roy, that they keep coming up with all of this stuff, and, and it's created nothing but problems. Instead okay. of chasing doctors and pain patients, yeah. why don't they look at the real problem? Well, I used the word unscientific as well in my conversation with Professor Boucher. He didn't seem to agree with me either. All right, let me say, now we really need to just hear from, from you as a group or individually what you feel needs to be said, because I know you're sitting there thinking about, we've got to talk about this, we have to mention this, this has to get out this hour. Don Ray, you lead off, please. Sure, Roy. Um, I was really struck by the email that you read at the top of the hour um, about the, um, the man whose father is uh, replacing his pain meds, which have been taken from him, with alcohol and driving around looking for street dealers. What I always think about when I hear these dreadful stories, after I, you know, stop being choked up by them, is that Bussett and his group have said many times, including to me, that what they were hoping for in doing the guideline is better patient outcomes. So I'm wondering if uh, the man who wrote to you about his dad, is he experiencing a better patient outcome by drinking and driving and looking for street dealers? Am I experiencing a better patient outcome when I am basically on death row because I never know when my pain physician might be censured and have his prescribing uh, uh, privileges taken away? Is that a better patient outcome? I also think that the guideline is highly unscientific, even though there were supposed to be two epidemiologists on the steering committee. But... But what I see coming back from Jason Busa when he answers my questions two months later is that a lot of his own subjective evaluations of things went into it. For example, he uh, was the one who evaluated whether he himself had an ideological conflict of interest in participating on the steering committee. It's kind of like asking the fox not only to count the, the, the chickens in the hen house, but, you know, to, to evaluate whether he's a good um, a counter of chickens in the hen house, I think we would all agree that this is unscientific, and yet there are many, many uh, examples that I could point to where, where preferences and values, as, as Professor Bussa likes to put it, are relied on in some cases and ignored in other cases. For example, 
Kaczynski said that the reason that cancer patients are excluded from these draconian guidelines, this is a question that's always interested me and nobody can respond to it, he said that they exempted cancer patients because they thought, they felt, he said, they felt, is that scientific? They felt that cancer patients would have different preferences and values. Well, the the fact is that they're also cutting cancer patients off or not allowing cancer patients to have the amounts of opioids that they require because they're afraid they become addicts. And that, 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 that in the United States, I've been told, has been extended to children. Yes, that is the case. And I think that what, what Professor Busa would say is, once again, I'm the pilot and I didn't drop the H-bomb. The plane did. The plane did it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't um, think he, he takes he, he doesn't take any responsibility for what's happening. When I asked him who or what is responsible for the attack on Canada's pain patients over the last years, what role has the guideline played? He said, this is beyond my knowledge. I asked myself, why was it beyond his knowledge? Why isn't he interested in finding well, out? The more he started with the guideline, why doesn't he follow up? The more we're speaking today, the more I need to ask that question again. Why did they, in fact, even need or even write these 2017 guidelines? Because all they've done is cause, it seems, cause confusion and pain. Now, when it comes to conflict of interest, Marvin Ross, you wrote about that as well. Well, um, no, what I noted was that, um, and I don't recall if it was on the answers he gave to Don Ray or to you, uh, he did say that... um, uh, Dr. Urolink had a a negative opinion to begin with of opioids, um, but that he wasn't a voting member. But if you look at the guidelines, the final decision of what goes into those guidelines was made by the four people on the steering committee. And Dr. Urolink was one of those four. And Urolink was one of them. Busey was the other one. Uh, and to other physicians. Um, so regardless of what information they got from practicing pain physicians, they made the final decisions. All right, let me take a break. When we come back, Hillary Morden. I want to hear what Hillary has to say, wants to say, feels is necessary to be said now in our final segment. More from Barry Ulmer, more from our panel as we respond to the uh, the appearance yesterday by Professor Jason Busa on this program for the Canadian Guideline for Opioids for Chronic Non-Cancer Pain. I also haven't understood why. Why is it Why is it non-cancer pain? Pain is pain. And cancer patients are also finding it difficult in some, I don't know, perhaps many cases, to get the uh, opioids, receive the opioids they require, or they will tell you they require, from what I understand. We'll come back with our guests on The Green Show. Stay with us. Direct, hard-hitting, no-holds-barred. The Rory Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I uh, have to read you an email before I go back to my guests. I have to read this email that just arrived. And this... This, to me, is sort of a bottom-line reality check, an explanation of what's going on. I won't mention the name of the person who wrote it, not even the first name, or the person who's suffering, but here's the content. Ella Roy, I write this as I've just left the Tom Baker Cancer Center in Calgary. The story is about my mother-in-law. 
She suffered chronic pain for many, many years. She's constantly had to fight to get her medications, sometimes even being prescribed pain meds and having pharmacists refuse to fill the doctor's prescribed medication. It's so sad. Pain patients are treated as though the pain is imagined. She was even told so many times. And instead of pain meds as prescribed antidepressants, she suffered from an autoimmune problem. They simply refused to attempt to control the symptoms. She has been treated with disdain and simply brushed off. Last Monday morning, she was found collapsed on her bathroom floor. Finally, the hospital actually admitted her and thought, get this, that maybe something else is wrong. She was finally given an MRI, and what was found was shocking. A cancer has been growing in her spinal column for probably years, but doctors have simply brushed it off as another imagined ache and pain from a chronic pain patient. I reiterate, I do not believe doctors have even looked further for an existing pain because they simply did not believe her. The cancer was growing up her spinal column until it finally fractured her spine. The same has happened in her pelvis. The strongest pain med she's ever been able to access has been Tylenol 3s. For an ignored cancer pain because she was treated as a chronic pain patient whose pain is not real, well, it is real. And now this family is going to lose its matriarch. We were given weeks or months, not years, that we have left with her. Perhaps if three years ago when she started to complain about these pains, perhaps then she could have been saved. This is a sad state that pain management has reached. We now ignore the chief complaint as imagined. Let me go back to my uh, my guests. Hilary Morton, who is uh, Simon Fraser University. She's a Ph.D. candidate in criminology. She's also a chronic pain patient, entrepreneur. Hillary, that, that, that email just breaks your heart. And it's so typical, and they even put it in the guidelines. Somatic pain is not to be treated by opioids. The problem is, is most somatic pains are just diseases that the doctor has yet to diagnose. And so what you get is typical groups of people who are shunted aside and are told their pain is somatic. Women, seniors, children, and teenagers, and young adults. They are also the groups most likely to experience ill health, cancers, other diseases. My own disease, it took them over two years. You know, I have more than a dozen doctors, seven specialists to finally diagnose me. And in that whole time, same thing. No pain meds, nothing. There's just so many problems with these guidelines and I think the essential foundation of the guidelines is where they went wrong is they started from addiction instead of pain and by looking at chronic pain as an addiction problem they applied a moral um, worldview to it and in morality we're all supposed to just suck it up and suffer in silence they tortured that woman they tortured her for years, and now they're killing her because of this. It's appalling. It's criminal, actually, is what it is. It's criminal. It is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's just... The, they're, they're, it's approached from the perspective that the patient is a liar. Mm-hmm. 
And it begins there if you have any disease that is an orphan disease or lesser known. And let's face facts. Look, the average doctor gets 17 hours of pain education when in there in medical school, unless they're a pain specialist. Vets get over 100. So it just goes to show you how important they think pain is. They don't see it as important. But pain is generally the first indication that something is going wrong with us. It's the body's, it, it's the body's signaling mechanism. It is. It is. And I do agree we shouldn't just cover it up with pain meds from the get-go. But we shouldn't also just push people aside and say, oh, well, yeah. it's all in their head. Barry and Ulmer, we've done that forever. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. Sorry. Barry Ulmer, are there more stories like the one I just read? Are you familiar with, aware of more stories oh. like that one? <laughs> Roy, you just wouldn't believe it. You know, my heart goes out to that family. That is just plain criminal. It is. And medicine has has, has abandoned these people. But there are more stories oh. that your association like that one that you're absolutely. aware of. Absolutely. It's criminal. Uh, Dawn Ray? You know, Roy, I want everybody to realize something here. It was it was the one real big surprise in uh, Jason Buss's uh uh, answers to my 38 questions, which took him two months to send me. I'm kind of horrified by it. Apparently, McMaster, the steering committee of the new Canadian guideline at McMaster, including David Yearling, has an ongoing contract to renew these guidelines every five years. I asked Dr. Blissa why we needed a new guideline. The 2010 guideline seemed perfectly adequate. Uh, and he, he answered by saying, we have a contract with Health Canada that says that we will renew and revisit these guidelines every five years. So we haven't seen anything yet. No, he There's said something similar to me. He said something similar to me. Right. That it's every five years or so that you're going to right. get this. They, they have tenure on this. Yeah. They will be in control from now until eternity, I guess. Well, I have, about, I have about 45 seconds left. Barry, some uh, final thoughts from you. Well, I think these people have been able to conflate and... and no, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I, I have to go to, um, to Marvin. I'm sorry. Marvin. No, good. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, I asked, you see, a similar question. Uh, why do we need new guidelines when the 2010 are perfectly adequate? And he said there's been a lot more research since then, which I think is BS, if I may say that. Uh, they didn't even cite the... Uh, a Cochrane meta-analysis that showed that opioids, in fact, are beneficial for people with chronic pain with uh, an addiction rate of about 0.27, and mm -hmm. that was done in 2010 okay. involving 5,000 patients. All right. Barry Elmer, Hillary Morton, Marvin Ross, Don Ray Downton, thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. Um, particularly with Don Ray and Hillary, who are, who are living with the... Uh, with chronic pain as uh, their constant companion. There's a lot to be done, a lot of questions to be answered, and I hope more people start asking the most relevant question. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank, Thank you, Roy. Come back and tell you about the next hour in just a minute.